Please go, the scripture we looked at last night. In Romans 1 and uh, 15, he said, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Say it out loud. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Say it again. Let's say it together. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, why would you need to say that? I mean, you, it's easy to read over that and think, well, yeah, boy, I'm not. I'm not. Well, and, and pretty much everybody you talk to, they'd say, no, me either. I'm not. Well, if nobody is, then that's kind of unnecessary, isn't it? No, it's much more of an issue than uh, many have realized. It's because the enemy is so subtle. He's so shrewd, so crafty. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now notice with me in uh, Mark 10, please. Mark 10, 29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say to you, there is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and what? And the gospels, verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, and in case you would try to change what he was saying here, he gets specific. A hundredfold houses. People say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, you won't be bothered with it. (laughs) Nobody said you had to live in all of them. Nobody said you had to keep all of them. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. Amen. Did I read houses and lands in this list? Does the Lord want you to have houses and lands? <laughs> now read that that next part out loud. <laughs> persecutions and just so that you're crystal clear and in the world to come. So the first part he's not talking about in the world to come. He's talking about now in this time. This just messes up a bunch of doctrines of men. These two verses right here. It really does. But how many want to stay with what Jesus said? Not only Will you be persecuted for preaching the gospel? You'll be persecuted for supporting the gospel. That's good. Yeah. That's what these two verses are about. Because how can they preach unless they're sent? And sent includes the people that God uses to send. And he said... 
if you sacrifice any of these things for the gospel, then you're going to reap. Now in this time, how many believe the words of Jesus? Come on. Kick out the religious junk and tradition and just believe the words of Jesus. How many believe what we sacrifice to support the gospel and build the kingdom of God, we're going to reap. Now in this time. Right? With persecutions. You want to find out about persecution? Just start reaping some hundredfold. And you, you will find out things you never expected. You know, I just a while back I made the mistake. I saw something. I was, I was looking at something on, online uh, that had to do with the ministry. And, and some people had made some, uh, some good comments. And I took the time to read them. Big mistake. Big mistake. Because below them was some bad ones. And man, they call me everything but a nice fella. <laughs> and it was about offerings. Oh, man. But, you know, just because I believe different from them doesn't make me a crook. And that's what they don't. They assume we think like they do. We're just crooks. But that ain't right. We don't think like they do. We don't believe like they do. We don't see God like they imagine him to be. A lot of them don't even believe in God. But there will be persecution. Preaching the gospel and supporting the gospel. Now, uh, look with me in 1 Samuel, the second chapter, please. 1 Samuel, the second chapter, and the 30th verse. Anybody familiar with this this verse? You got this one, Mark? We put part of it over the top of our platform. Because the Lord has emphasized it to us so much. The latter part of it, the Lord said, Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Revealing some meaning of the word honor. Honor has to do with valuing, esteeming, respecting. Despising is the opposite. Despising is not considering valuable, not treating as important or significant. And the Lord is saying, Ever how you deal with me and my things is how I'm going to deal with you. You treat me as important, I'm going to treat you that way. You treat my things as significant, I'm going to treat your things as significant. The Lord actually spoke to me in the very beginning days of our ministry. I was in the floor praying one day. And the Lord quickened to me. He said, Keith, the more valuable your time becomes to me the more I will help you to redeem it and I didn't know what that meant until the years went by 
And, you know, if you're not even trying to find the will of God and do it, and you don't care about his plan and his church, what do you need a bunch of funding for? What do you need a bunch of help for? What do you need a bunch of tools to help save and redeem your time? You're not interested in his business. Why should he be interested in your business? Is this another way of saying those that honor me? I will honor. And I saw immediately he began helping me with computers. This was back in the 80s when uh, 40 meg was a big hard drive. Anybody remember that? No, people looking at me strange. Like monitors were monochrome green. Said no, yeah, and about this big. And not long after that, the Lord led me to to learn how to fly. And I didn't think I had time, and I didn't think it was what I needed to do. But I I got to a point at the end of uh, '95, I knew I was going to be disobedient. If I didn't go see about flying. And uh, one thing led to another. Led to another. And I had no idea. Sometimes it's good not to know how far you got to go. (laughs) And what it's going to take. Because it took 20 years. For us to get to this phase that we're at now. Which ain't long. But you didn't know that then. And uh. But what it has done is with the internet, computers, TV, with that ability to travel, ministry multiplied. And I'm not just talking about me. How many understand God's will is for every one of us, right? To have things that multiply the effect for the kingdom and redeem your time. But the Lord's not, you know, he's not interested in helping you do nothing and, and wasting your life. And he's not obligated to underwrite and finance every wild idea you come up with. No, he's not. And if you got no time for his things, you're not going to see a bunch of help on your things. But I want you to notice that this, this verse that we're so familiar with, them that honor me, I will honor, was spoken in connection with offerings. Offerings. Back up to just the 29th verse. Just the previous verse. The Lord said through this man of God, he said, why... Do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I've commanded, which I what? Commanded. commanded. The Lord didn't suggest offerings. In the Old Testament, if you want to, he commanded them. You're going to see it more clearly as we go. And you honor your sons above me. How many understand you do not put family ahead of God? Amen. I've had people look at me and go, well, my family comes first. Well, then God does not. There's only one first place. Well, I just believe God wants me to take care of my family first. Well, you're wrong. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You're hurting your family when you put them first. You're disqualifying yourself from the Lord's provision. 
And you're teaching them to put their self first. And they'll do what you train them to do. No, sir. No, ma'am. I know it sounds right, but it's wrong. You don't put yourself first. You don't put your family first. You put God first and you let them see you putting God first. And in doing so, they'll learn how and it'll go well with them. And they'll live long. He said, you, you're kicking at my sacrifice and, and, and my offering. That's the very next verse is when he said, because if you honor me, I'll honor you. The uh, People try to tell us that offerings are not important. And we don't need to talk much about them. We don't need to talk about money. It's a much debated, contentious subject. Is it or not? Oh, man. Oh, boy. Money? Offerings? Oh, man. What a subject. Anytime you see something fraught, with that much resistance, and you need to ask yourself, what's going on here? What? Why is it such a big issue? Why is it such a big deal? Do you want to know? Yeah, we want to know. This is something I, I've been hungry to know for decades, and I've been learning some all along. But even in the beginning of the ministry, when we first found out some things, uh, even through uh, the Copeland's ministry and others. And I just want to stop and say, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am, for not being ashamed of the gospel. Hallelujah. Of abundance and prosperity and the stand that you have taken. Thank you. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for these gifts. Father, we thank you for Brother Kenneth, Miss Gloria and their family and their ministry. Thank you for their strong stand. Thank you that they have not been moved by all the persecution. And they've taken a stand and been such good examples. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, somebody say thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. I was like what I heard Brother Jerry Savelle say recently. He said, I couldn't even spell airplane until I met Kenneth Copeland. That's me and Phyllis. I meant to tell you this last night when I, we showed you the picture of our aircraft that we just got. We've had to do a lot of things for months with the FAA getting approval. And the Lord has given us favor. We had some great people to help us in the FAA. And this one gentleman that Mike's been dealing with, he was on the phone with him trying to get some of our paperwork. And he spoke up. He said, you guys, we, we haven't known this man. I, I would know him if I, if I met him. He said, uh, you guys have a nice airplane. He said, but you do know Kenneth Copeland's airplane's faster than yours. <laughs> he said, yeah, we, okay, I mean, thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> but I may think that's just right. Your elder's airplane ought to be the big airplane, ought to be the fastest. Air- yeah, that's just, that's the way it ought to be. But I, I know we don't know the half of it, but especially in the early days of their ministry and all along, people have fought them and criticized them over 
preaching that God's will is abundance. And that God would bless you with things. And and 30, 60, 100 fold. I mean, just that, right? I mean, contention. And we have, I mean, that's probably been the biggest thing Phyllis and I and these churches and ministries have been criticized about. Is uh, offerings and, and sowing and reaping. and Why? And then people will try to tell you. No, no, offerings, you just, you need to quit talking so much about them. Because God don't care about all those things. You know, he cares about spiritual things. God don't care about money. He don't care about things. He don't care about material things. (laughs) Much quiet in here. You got to watch about just nodding your head and agreeing with everything everybody says like that. What does the scripture say? What does it say? Do you know the first murder on planet earth was over an offering? That's how serious this is and that's how long this has been going on. Over an offering. Hold your place here and go with me to Hebrews and let's just remind ourselves of it. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith... Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Does God care about offerings? By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. By what? By his offering. God testifying of his gifts. God testifying of Abel's gift. And we know what his gift was. Fluffy. (laughs) For those of you who hadn't been around, it said that Abel gave of the fat and the best that he had, which would also be the most expensive. And he obtained witness that he was righteous, and God testified of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. His offering is preaching tonight in Branson, Missouri and Sarasota, Florida. His offering. That's why he's in Hebrews 11. His offering. His offering. Listen to uh, the BBE translation. It says, by faith, Abel made a better offering to God than Cain. And he had witness through it of his righteousness, God giving his approval to his offering. And his voice still comes to us through it, through the offering. Though he's dead, though he's been off the earth a long time. Why? Why was this such a big deal? 1 John 3.12 tells us what was going on. First John. He said, don't be like Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And so it asks the question and answers it. Why did he kill him? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. The New Living says Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Cain knew better 
than what he did in that offering. That's good. He knew better. His heart wasn't in it. He didn't give his best. And Abel, not trying to do anything with Cain. He just loved God. And that's where the issue is. People say, well, God don't care about money. There's a truth there. What does God care about U.S. dollars or Japanese yen? You know what he does care about? The heart. And your treasure reveals your heart. Now, a lot of folks don't like that, but I'm quoting Jesus. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. What we do with our treasure reveals our heart. And this revealing infuriates those who don't love him as much as the other. It reveals it. It puts it in their face. If you give a big, if you give your whole week's pay or you give a, a giant thing and uh, you give the best car you've ever had, you do this or you do that, and other people don't love God that much and they don't care that much, it irks them. Because they either, in the face of it, they either have to admit that they don't love God as much as they should and and they don't, the kingdom has got not priority to them like it should be, or they got to find something wrong with you. They either got to humble themselves and repent, or they harden themselves and resist. No, it's not something. We just need to be quiet about. That's right. We need to talk about the offerings of the Lord. God. And not be ashamed of them. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We need to support the gospel. Yes. Yes, sir. And be willing yes. to be persecuted for it. Yes. That was a little weak. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. That's right. right? They, they, they go together. You're going to be persecuted for preaching the gospel and you're going to be persecuted for supporting the gospel. We read the scriptures first off. But any sufferings you endure in persecution are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And good news is too, some of the very people that find fault and judge you and mock you If you'll hold your ground and not be judgmental yourself and just keep loving God and doing what you know to do, they'll come around. Might take some of them five years, ten years, Uh twenty years, but they'll come around. You don't need to go their way. They need to come your way. Oh, hallelujah. Go back to 1 Samuel, please. Chapter 2. Verse 12. Do you see and do you agree that this statement, those that honor me, I will honor, was made in connection with offerings? Let's keep it in context tonight. I know it applies to a lot of things, but you've got to watch. The enemy will try to get you to take something out of context 
and use it to where it doesn't even agree with the context anymore. Verse 12, this is the context. The sons of Eli, who was the high priest of God, were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Is it true that people in the ministry can be sons of Belial and not even know God? Sadly so. And as the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came. And while the flesh was in seething or, or boiling with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, he would take and strike it in the pan, the kettle or cauldron and pot. All the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. Now this is completely contrary to the directions given by God. And they did that in Shiloh under all the Israelites that came there. And before they burned the fat, which is completely contradictory to the word of God. The priest servant would come and say to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest. Because he won't have it sodden or boiled. He wants it raw. He wants it right now. And if any man said to him, well, let him not fail to burn the fat because that's the word of God. That's what the Lord told him to do with the sacrifice. And then he said, take as much as you want, but let's do what God said to do with it. And then they would say, no, but you're going to give it to me right now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Well, you can imagine. You get there. You bring your best offering. And these guys come in there. Mess up what you're doing. Steal half of it. What do you want to do next Sunday? You excited about bringing your offering? Let me read to you from other translations. The Young's Literal says, Men have despised. The offering of Jehovah, which is why you see the language at the end. Those that honor me, I'll honor. Those that despise me will be lightly esteemed. They had been despising him. One of the main things he mentioned was in the offerings. He said they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. The new century says they did not show respect for the offerings made to the Lord. The NIRV says they were making fun of his offering. Well, they were mocking it. They were treating it like God's not even real. Like he didn't even say do this. Like you can just change everything. Do anything you want to do. They treated the offerings of the Lord with disrespect. The TEV says. And the Dewey translation says. Because they withdrew men from the sacrifice of the Lord. What they were doing caused people to despise the offerings and caused them to quit giving offerings and pull back. This has happened in many varying degrees throughout the church. Now, a lot of folks might say, well, I would never do that, and I appreciate that, but there is a whole scale of despising. Despising includes treating something with contempt and abusing it. But also, despising includes just treating something as insignificant. You remember 
Esau sold his birthright for a cup of stew. And the Bible said he despised his birthright and he said, what good is this going to do me? Any kind of attitude concerning an offering like that is also despising it. And people will see the offerings of the Lord the way the ministers treat them. Can you see this, friends? Ever how we as pastors and ministers treat the offerings of the Lord, that's how the people are going to see them. And depending on that, it will cause them to value the offerings or it will cause them to withdraw from the offerings. Many have backed off of talking about the tithe, of talking about sowing and reaping, of talking about giving and receiving. Many have gotten to the place where they say as little as possible about it. And almost apologize. You know I wish we didn't even have to take up an offering. But you know we got bills to pay. So you know that y'all do best you can. That causes men to despise. The offerings of the Lord. And it's in connection with this. That the Lord said those who honor me. I will honor He cares about the offerings. I said he cares about the offerings. I've mentioned to people. Our people know it. They've heard me say it numerous times. If I had 10 billion. Sitting in the accounts. Of the church. I would take just as long. On the offerings. Maybe longer. It ain't about meeting the needs of the church. And we don't try to talk people into giving. Faith comes by hearing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on, are y'all with me? Yes. We're talking about the importance of honoring God and what He does with a seed. What does God do with a seed? You sitting here because of a seed. You ate today because of a seed. Come on, are y'all with me? Seed is amazing. You can't be too excited about a seed. If you got a seed. You can get there. You can get there. It may seem so far. It may seem so big. But if you got a seed. If you got a seed. You may have 30,000 people to feed. And no money. And ain't no McDonald's in sight. But if you got a little boy's lunch. If you got a few loaves and a fish or two. If you got some seed. If you've got some seed. I don't know how many people we've had in this church. That came. They had no job. They had no money. And they said well I got some time. So they sowed their time as a seed on the clean team. Am I telling the truth? Faith Life Church. And got jobs. And got jobs. And got raises. Your time can be a seed. A thing that you have can be a seed. But see, if you mock these things and you despise these things, you won't do them. And so you'll be kept out. We must 
talk about these things, our faith won't arise. And we must not be shamed into being quiet. We must glorify God when we get a good seed. And we certainly glorify God when we have a good harvest. We glorify God. We talk about it. Not to brag on us. And ever how we as ministers treat the offerings is going to be how the people esteem them. If we rush through it, did you hear that term? If you rush through it, quick as you can, say as little as you can about it, what are you doing? You're despising it. You're treating like it's an inconvenient necessity. Now, I'm not saying spend two hours when you know, the Lord didn't lead you to. And I'm not saying pull on people to give. I'm not talking about that at all. Please would you give? Please would you give? You know, reach down, give till it hurts. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you believing, first of all, in it yourself. And you living by sowing and reaping. I'm going to say something real bold. Say it. Say it. You might say, you hadn't been? Well, (laughs) don't give to preachers who don't give. Don't give to leaders who only receive for their stuff. Well, I only do it for my church. Yeah, but it's your church. Why? As we go further in this, you'll see why it reveals heart problems. If people are right, if ministers are right, they're givers. Because they're going to be like the master and there is no bigger giver than the master. If you're right, if you're godly, there is no bigger giver than God. If you're godly, you're going to be a giver outside yourself, outside your things, outside your family, outside your church, outside your ministry. I give everything for my ministry. That's still being selfish. Because it's yours. Don't give to leaders who don't give. And ministers that don't give. Wow. (laughs) Where were we? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Go with me. To Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter. Thank you, Father. Now, I said that, you might not think so, but I said it in love. Because of so many reasons. But you can waste your seed. And everything produces after its own kind. And if you are involved in something that will get off on you, whatever you fellowship with, 
and whatever you are part of financially. That by your giving, imagine this. By your giving, you had to open up yourself and open up your life to give. Here's the thing. When you open up to give, you're open to receive. And whatever you're giving into, you're going to receive from that. Good or bad. And that's why he said, you know, in the epistle to John, he said, uh, don't even say Godspeed. To somebody that's preaching error. Don't help them in any way. Don't lay hands on people too quickly. And don't be a partaker of their sins. Did he say it or not? These scriptures are true too. Deuteronomy 16, 16. While you're getting there, put up on screen please Psalm 96, 8. Psalm 96, 8 says... Give to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Read the next phrase. Bring an offering. <laughs> Look at your neighbor. Help him out and say, bring an offering. And come into his courts. <laughs> I mean, most everybody shout about give the Lord glory. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And bring an offering. Huh? And bring an offering. Well now don't, don't talk about money. You know. God don't care about money. There's a truth to that. Him not caring about money. He does care about the heart. And your treasure shows your heart. Give unto the Lord glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. I want you to notice. The commandment. To God's first covenant people. He commanded them. Not not suggested. Commanded them to come together. Three times a year. And observe feasts. And here's part of the instructions. Deuteronomy 16. 16. Three times a year. Shall all your males appear before the Lord your God. In the place which he shall choose. In the feast of unleavened bread. In the feast of weeks. In the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Who's this apply to? I'm just, just in the verse. Is that apply to everybody that comes to this? All three times a year. Don't come empty. Verse 17. Every man shall give as he's able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he has given you. Somebody say, bring an offering. offering. Let me read this to you from some other translations. The NIV says, no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Don't come empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Didn't tell him how much to bring, but he did say, if the Lord's been good to you, It needs to be a good one. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Do people get nervous about some talk like this? Oh. And do a lot of preachers back off for fear 
that people will become upset and offended and say, you're talking too much about money. Well, are you willing to endure some persecution for speaking the truth? Or will you be shamed into silence by what people might say or might do? A friend of mine some years ago, he said he had, a, he had a man in his family who was very, very wealthy. And his extended family was about three or four families. And he said what they were putting into the church was the biggest thing going. And he said the man asked to see him one day after the service. He said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, he said, you know, what you're preaching now, I, I can't go with. And if you continue along this line, I'm going to pull me and my families out. He said the first thing that he thought about is, wow, him and his money too. And, you know, the thought is, the, the pull, you can say anything you want to, but the pull is to try to salvage this. And the only thing that would come up in it from the Lord was, well, brother, I, you can't tell me what to preach. He said, well, I understand. We're, we're gone. Uh, me and my families are gone. He said, well, we, we love you. And he said, as they were leaving, he saw the guy walking across the parking lot. He's standing in the office there by himself. He said, Lord, there, there goes the biggest giver in my church. He said, the Lord said, no, nah, I'm still here. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> And he said it wasn't two, three months until the Lord brought in stronger families than his. They didn't miss a beat. Pastors, say this if you dare. My congregation is not my source or the church's source. The congregation is not the church's source. Is it? If it is, God's not. And if you look into them, you're not looking to Him. And here's how you can tell. Faith puts no pressure on people. Zero. If you're putting pressure on people, then you think they're your source. And you're looking to them. And you're in fear. If they don't do it, you won't have it. But if you're looking to God, you believe whether they do anything or they don't, God's going to take care of you. Is that right? And you don't have your eyes on them, and so you put no pressure. Come on, say it out loud. Faith puts no pressure on people. He said, God's Word translation says, No one may come into the presence of the Lord without an offering. Each man must bring a gift in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given him. No one is to show up, the message says, in the presence of God empty-handed. Each man must bring in as much as he can manage, giving generously in response to the blessings of God, your God. Similar language is used in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. 
2 Corinthians 9 and 8. According as God has blessed you. 1 Corinthians 16. No, it's not by demand, but it reveals things. I had a lady some years ago. I was out on the road. This must have been 20 years ago. And I come across a hobby, excuse me, the lobby of the building. And this older lady said, Brother Keith, Brother Keith, is that you? And I said, yeah, hi. And she ran over. She said, oh, Brother Keith, I'm so glad to see you. She said, uh, you have sent materials to me. And you have sent, uh, back in those days, we were sending cassette tapes with the mail out. And said, uh, no charge to me. And man, they have been the word that I have needed when they have come. And she said, I've never given you a dime. And, and I said, that's fine. I said, that's, a, you know, that's, that's one reason we want to sow it, so that if you don't have it, you know, you can get it. She said, well, I, I've never given you a dime, but, you know, thanks. And I said, well, that's all right. And we spoke and parted. And while I'm walking across the lobby, the Lord spoke to me. He said, that's not all right. I just misrepresented him by telling her that was okay, that was fine. That she had never given a dime. Why couldn't she give a dime a month? The only excuse for giving nothing is if you have nothing. And if you could give a dime, but you won't give a dime, what does that mean? It's not important enough to you to send a quarter. It's not enough priority to you to even try to do anything. And millions are deceived into this stupor that because I don't have much, it excuses me from doing anything. And they don't need my dollar. I mean, they got all them rich folks over there. And they don't need, honey, you need it. You need it. Regardless of them. They tell us there's about 2.2 billion of us Christians on the planet. What if all of us sold a dollar a month? A dollar a month would be an immediate 2.2 billion into the kingdom. Every month. 26.4 billion. 26.4 billion. A year. Into the kingdom. Into the kingdom. And if you won't give a dollar. It says some things that are not complimentary. And people. Preachers are scared. To even bring it up. But ever how we treat the offerings of the Lord is going to be how the people perceive them. That's right. And if we're apologizing for them, rushing through them, we're despising the offerings of the Lord. And if we despise his offerings, our things will be lightly esteemed by him. The Lord corrected me. 
I, I, it shocked me. It surprised me. I'm walking away from her. I thought I had been kind and gracious. <laughs> I thought it's fine, dear. It's fine. We're glad it's fine. You never gave a dime. And, and I'm walking across the, uh, the, the lobby. And the Lord said, you, you misrepresented me. It's not fine. It's not okay. Anybody remember the widow's offering? Her two cents. Did the Lord give it back to her? I'm talking about right then when she, she said, oh, no, dear. No, dear, but keep your two cents, dear. And you rich guys, you give her an offering right now. Did that happen? No, it did not. He let her sow it. He let it stay in the offering and he made an example of it to everybody there. And he told the whole crowd she outgave everybody here today. Now, it's not about amount. It's about the heart. And the percentage and priority shows the heart. I had a pastor one time tell me, he said, uh, after this meeting, I'm going to have a, a meeting with all the big givers in my church. And I, I said, well, how would you know who they are? He said, well, we got records, you know, we know. And I said, yeah, but how would you know who the big givers are? He said, well, we, we've got records, Brother Keith. We, we know. I said, yeah, but how would you know? He said, am I missing something, Brother Keith? <laughs> you don't know who's the big giver. This woman gave two cents and was the biggest giver there that day. Is that right? Yeah. The amount does not show who's the big giver. It's the heart and the percentage. She gave 100% that day. You can't give any more than that. Hallelujah. Somebody say glory to God. Be a good time for you to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am not ashamed of the offerings of the Lord. I'm not ashamed. I make no apologies for the offerings of the Lord. It's one of the greatest things we get to do. It gives everybody an opportunity to come up, to honor God. Go with me to uh, Luke 7, please. Luke 7. Why did uh, Cain kill Abel? Why did he kill him? Let's go right with 1 John, what he said. I'll paraphrase it. Because Abel's action, his offering, showed up Cain's lack of love and lack of honor and lack of commitment for God. And he was too proud and unwilling to repent and change. And so he hardened his heart. And if you're not going to take responsibility for your own mistakes, the next thing the enemy will come and do is show you who to blame. If you don't want the truth, ain't nothing else to believe but a lie. And so when he didn't humble himself, when Abel, Abel's 
giving of the best thing he had and doing it gladly because he loved God and he wanted to honor God and it showed up. Cain and Cain knew, he knew he knew better than what he was doing and he didn't repent. And so the devil came and sat on his shoulder and said, he just did that to make you look bad. God's not fair. Look at him. He received Abel's offering and said, he don't receive your offering. God don't receive my offering. You know, God doesn't receive all offerings. Even though you give them, even though men might receive them, doesn't mean God received them. And he fumed on that and let that bitterness work in him until he became murderous. The devil breathed his murderous character into him and he killed his brother. Because he gave a good offering. Because he loved God. And wanted to show God how much he loved him. Yeah, that's good. Oh, the devil hates it. Oh, it's it's a full thing in the devil's face of what he can never have and can never be. He has forfeited that forever. To have God's favor. (laughs) To have God pleased with you. Praise God. And to have God accept. To be able to give to the giver is something. To be able to give something to the one that made you and gives you life and breath that he would actually value and receive from you. That's an amazing thing. But if your heart's right, it can be. And it was with Abel. And it wasn't with Cain. The Lord said this to me some years ago, and I, at first I didn't, it didn't sound right to me. He said, the greatest expression of love is giving. The greatest expression of love is giving. Well, the greatest thing is love. And the greatest expression of that is giving. I thought, Lord, is that right? Am I hearing you right? The greatest expression. And while I'm pondering that, the verse came to me with force. For God so loved the world that he, that he what? That he gave. Not just giving money, but giving of all things. Is it true or not? Is God the greatest of all? Love the greatest of all. What's the greatest expression of his love? He so loved the world that he what? That he gave. So is that true or not? That giving is the greatest expression of love. Beginning to see why the devil fights giving so hard. Because it's connected to so many things. In Luke 7, 36... One of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. 
and begin to wash his feet with tears and, and to wipe them with the hairs of her head and, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And the Pharisee said, glory to God, I want to give an offering too. Uh-uh. He said, if this man was a prophet within himself, he had known who and what kind of woman this is that touches him. She's a sinner. So he's saying, Jesus is not even a real prophet. Is this disrespect? This is such dishonor. What stirred such a response out of him. It's the same thing. As Cain and Abel. Going on here. I couldn't. It just it puzzled me. It baffled me. Why people who did not know me. And didn't put a dime in what we were doing. Were so mad about it. It just made me scratch my head and go. What do you care? Didn't cost you anything. Right? What is going on? It's the same thing that's been happening since Cain and Abel. Same thing. When people love God and they have faith and it motivates them to give, it infuriates those who don't. Because whether they realize it or not, they think it's making them look bad or, or they, will, they want to find some excuse, some rationalization. There's no way they love God more than I do. They're just caught up in all this money stuff and these preachers have, you know, deceived them. Now this alabaster box, let's talk about it a little bit. Alabaster box, alabaster doesn't refer to the contents. It refers to the container. And uh, these boxes were built, made by professional artisans who would chisel and then polish these stone containers. A lot of them were white. Some of them were translucent. It'd be comparable to a marble thing. And they were very expensive. And then, because they were so expensive, you don't put cheap ointment in it. So they would put the most expensive, and some of it was nard that was imported from India. And in those days, you didn't just put it on FedEx and fly it over there. It would have took months on a camel train. I'm not camels, literal physical camels. And it would have been very expensive. And they tell us we have, this happened to Jesus more than once. This alabaster box, more, more than once this happened to him. Of somebody breaking the box and dumping the entire contents on him. These boxes were sometimes heirlooms. They were passed down from mother to daughter or grandmother. They were reserved for only the most special occasions. Maybe a wedding or a funeral or coronation or different things. And they were 
expensive. If you look up the, the numbers, the best I can discern, it'd have to be at least about $30,000, more likely closer to fifty dollars or $60,000. And in order to give something like this, you've got to have something like this. And this woman has on her dresser in her bedroom 40 grand sitting there. And Jesus has come to town. She hadn't been living right. She's been doing a lot of things you should not be doing. The whole town knows she's a bad woman. But listening to Jesus, something happened to her. Oh, somebody say something happened. Something something happened to her. And she wasn't invited to this party. But she saw him go in there. And something moved her in her heart. Somebody say in her heart. In her heart. In her heart, something moved her. And she thought, oh, God, what you've done for me. I never thought I'd feel like I was worth anything. I never thought I could have a life worth living. I know I can now. I know God's a forgiving God. I know God's a healing God. I know God's a restoring God. I know I have value in his eyes. She got this from hearing the word through Jesus. She got this from being under the anointing in these meetings and in this service. And so something in her wants to do something. And it thought, came to her, my alabaster box. Boom, she goes to the house. She gets her alabaster box. She makes sure it's real clean and shiny. She comes in. They're in there talking with the big wig Pharisee. And maybe the watchman was watching the door, but he, he went, reached over to eat a sandwich. <laughs> and when he did, zip. She's in. And next thing you know, before anybody knew what was going on, she's on his feet. Crying. And it bothered the people of the house. It bothered the Pharisee. Because they knew who she was. And they are so holy. Everybody knows she's not. And, uh, he said within himself, verse 39, look at it again. If this man was a prophet, so does he believe in Jesus? No. You don't believe in him. He'd have known who and what kind of woman this is. Got no respect for Jesus, got no respect for the woman. Therefore, no respect for her offering. And. Verse 40, Jesus spoke up. Now you got to remember, this place, you can smell this place from down the block. 40 grand, somebody say 40 grand. 40, 40 grand has been dumped. The box or the container broken, the contents out. And you can smell it a block away. 
Best thing she had. Fluffy. This is the same thing Abel did. Same thing he did. And uh, Jesus spoke up and said, Simon, I got something to say to you. He said, Master, say on. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors and one owed 500 pence, the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Which, which will do what? Love, love him. Love. Say it out loud. It ain't about money. It's about love. That's why it's so contentious. Which will love him most? Simon said, I I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. He said, you're right. He's feeling pretty good about himself right now. Won't last long. (laughs) He said, you're right. What's the question? Which one will do what? Not just love him, but what? Love him the most. Why is he even talking about this? Because somebody just dumped 40 grand on him. He said, I, I suppose the one to whom he forgave the most will love him the most. Jesus said, you're right. You've judged right. And he turned to the woman He said, Simon, you see this woman? Is everybody listening? He said, I came into your house. You didn't give me. You didn't give me any water. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears. And she wiped them with the hairs of her head. You didn't give me a kiss when I came in. What's Jesus talking about now? What he didn't give. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, has not stopped kissing my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint. He's mentioned three things now he didn't give him. You didn't give me any water when I came in. You didn't give me any kiss of greeting. It was customary. It wasn't an unusual thing when a guest came in because everything's dusty. And you come in, a lot of times people are wearing open sandals and stuff, and so your feet are dusty. It's just, it was common courtesy to give people some water to wash your feet off with. And it wasn't too unusual to give them some ointment because it can be dry. And uh, you begin to see why did Simon the Pharisee ask him to come anyway? It's because Jesus drawing the biggest crowds in town. He wants to get in on some of the popularity. He wants to play big shot. Yes, sir. Say, who was at my house last night? Yes, sir. I don't know, but it's not because he cared about him. It's not because he believed in him. How do we know he didn't care about him? Gave him nothing. Not even respect. 
And Jesus is the one that brought up, you didn't give me, you didn't give me, you didn't give me. Why? He didn't ask either one of them for anything. Jesus didn't ask either one of them for anything. And this woman, nobody made her do this. She came in there and this was her heart. She enjoyed doing this. And this is a beautiful thing. This is a demonstration of love and gratitude and a person's biggest attempt they know how to make to honor this vessel that God has forever changed their life through. And this foolish guy sits up there and despises the whole thing. And he thought nobody knew what he's thinking. But he's thinking what a, what a terrible sorry woman this is. And what a stupid preacher this is. And he's not even a prophet. He couldn't be a prophet. But the Lord discerned by the word of knowledge what was in his heart and mind. And even though he didn't ask either one of them for anything. He wants to act like this. He brings it up. Now that you want to talk about it, you didn't give me anything. Not a greeting, no water, no ointment. What's he getting to? I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? 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 She loves much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth Little. What's the revelation? What was obvious to everybody there? Simon does not love the Lord. And this is what makes people fighting mad. When they come face to face. That they have been so religious. And yet have not really loved God. Because it's revealed. How many remember 1 John? He said, if you see somebody in need. And you've got the ability. But you, you you got no desire to help. How dwells the love of God in you? Tell me what the greatest expression of love is. Giving. 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 And if you have no interest, no desire. Man, you, you talk about some offerings. Have you read your Old Testament? Have you read the offerings that Solomon made at the dedication of the temple? I mean, have you read the offerings of David personally and the nobles that prepared the money? We're talking about billions. And they just kept bringing it in. They just kept bringing it in. On one occasion it said they started bringing the offering and heaps piled up. And more than one occasion they had to tell the people, quit bringing it, quit bringing it. We already got it piled up everywhere. And these are times when the whole nation got back to God. Got away from their backsliding and their idol worship. When the money's not there, the heart's not there. People don't like it that simple. But it's a fact. It's the truth. He, the woman that gave much, loved much. The man who gave nothing, 
didn't love and wasn't thankful. Has God done anything for us? We're not talking about doing something the Lord didn't tell you to do. And we're not telling preachers do not pull on people. We've already talked about this. But friend, if all you got's a quarter, you can put your heart in it. Is that right? If all you got's a dollar. And don't wait until you've got something big to do something. Don't, don't get into that delusion. The Lord, well, well, we'll go to Luke 16. Let me, let me use his words instead of mine. Luke 16. Luke 16 and 10. Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is what? Least. Least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Verse 11. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Now what did he just call mammon in the previous verse? The least. Said out loud, money, money. Is, the least. is the least. People have said, God don't care about money. He don't care about money. And you don't need to talk about it. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He cares about the, the important things, the, you know, the spiritual things. If you hadn't been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you're not faithful in the least, what is the least? The mammon. The money, the stuff is the least. If you won't obey him with that, you wouldn't obey him with the bigger stuff. Money is the least. And people have, they've wanted to ignore that, but it starts with the little things. I remember how the Lord led Phyllis and I. One of the first offerings that we, we gave in faith was $5. I remember it distinctly. It was big because all we had was 10 But I remember to this day. Why? Because something happened in us. We weren't just putting something in a receptacle when it came by. We had faith this time. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. I remember a young man was preaching in the healing school one day at Brother Hagin's ministry. And all I had to my name was $5. I'm a student. And I needed gas in my truck. And the Lord dealt with me to sow him that $5. I was ashamed to sow it because that's all it was, was five. Everybody say, ashamed. And the Lord wanted me to get past that. He kept dealing with me. I thought, Lord. Finally, I thought, okay. After the service, I, I stood by and waited till he got through. And he came by and I said, uh, I said, brother, I'd, I have a little something here I'd like to sow to you. He said, great. And so I, I had it crumpled up real small. <laughs> so you couldn't tell what it was. And I, I just going to hand it to him and go. And he grabbed my hand. And said I received this seed. And he started praying over it. The spirit of God fell on me in him. I didn't know whether to cry. Or to laugh or run or fall down. And him either. Same thing happened to him. He looked at me. His eyes got big. My eyes got big. 
He thought, you talk about a $5 blessing. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Was it about the $5? No. 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 It's not about $5. Or $5 million. But if there's no action of it, it's a revelation. It's not in the heart. If you won't even try to do anything year after year, you spend $200 on a pair of athletic shoes, but you can't send a dollar to a ministry. It's not okay. People can try. They can be afraid and be politically correct and be afraid of offending, but it's not okay. Between you and him. And the Lord accepts us. The scripture says not according to what we don't have. But according to what we do have. It's between you and him. It's about a heart. And he doesn't even want it. If you don't want to give it. And I don't either. And you shouldn't either. He loves Glad to do it. Ready to do it. Prompt to do it. Right? He loves it. When you want to do it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just lift our hearts up to him right now. Things are happening. Things are happening in the heart. No, we're not going to receive an offering. Not tonight. Lift up your hands. Tell the Lord you love him. Lord, we love you. And we are thankful for everything that you have done. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.